I'm Jason Klom. Gaziza. I'm Alan Rickards. Your last name is Rickard? And we are the hosts of Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a news radio podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Jason Klom. Gaziza. I'm Alan Rickards. And this is Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a news radio podcast. With Jen on the ether. Hi. Um, we have a special guest this week. Hi, Paul Sims. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> what? <laughs> so unimpressed. So unimpressed. Can I start with an opening statement? Yeah, please. Yes. All right. I hate podcasts. Uh huh. But not. I know. I. I just. I. Um. <laughs> when it's podcasts or like those articles where people talk about what they made or what they wrote and uh -huh. they, and they they want to pontificate about oh, I had the brilliant mm. idea for this and that, it sickens me. Mm -hmm. But because you guys <laughs> have shown such misguided dedication yep. to this. <laughs> mm -hmm. And sheer nerdiness. Yes. And because of your hundreds and hundreds of fans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Literally hundreds. Oh, you do have too much honor with that, I think. <laughs> all of that is off the table. Tonight, I'm going to dive right in. Okay. And nothing's... We can talk about anything mm -hmm. and everything. All right. Well, all right. the reason you're here is because this is the 11-year anniversary of the commentaries being recorded. That's the real reason we're here Is tonight. that true? Paul, it 11 actually years? Is. I guess, I guess, well, some of them. Wow. Yeah, because you were doing them in like, because the first ones came out in 06, and then the last ones were 07, actually. Wow. So, 12 years wow, now. Jason. So, I'm sorry. I'm... I'll try to limit the number of times in this podcast that I go like, oh my God, was it that long ago? But <laughs> everything was a long time ago. The commentary Can... tracks are, as I call them, the watch-along tracks, which is basically... <laughs> Hey, oh, oh, we got caught watching it again. Or like, oh no, hold on, I do something funny here. Hold on. Wait, yeah. Wait, wait. A lot of that. There were, a few, there were a few of those commentary tracks I was really super happy with. The one where, where, well, some of the later ones is just like, <laughs> we got nothing left to say. Yeah. But some of those ones where we really got into like when Brad Isaacs and I talked about uh, our sort of semi-temporary falling out or whatever. Uh -huh. That one was oh, like, yeah. that was like mm. group therapy and I mm -hmm. loved it and it was fun. Was it true that you had not dealt with it much before We that? hadn't. I mean, oh I'd God. seen him, I'd seen him at Josh Lieb's wedding and I'd seen him a few times and, and you know, it was all sort of bygones be bygones, but we had, but when he got there, I was like, should we just get into it yeah, and yeah. really talk about it in the way that normal people probably would have had coffee and talked about mm -hmm. it. So I loved that. <laughs> So you, you, so waited, you waited until you hit record on the exactly. actual comment. Exactly, yeah, save it up. <laughs> All right. Let's get some value out of this if we had a, you know, some kind of interpersonal beef. There is one Let's with you it. and Joe Fury doing phone calls and Baba Booey for about 10 minutes. <laughs> which is kind of fun. Amazing. Listening to you guys do comedy is pretty oh good. Oh, my God. Um, God, there's no good question to start this off with, but Alan well, has some. Uh, well, we would just like you to know, our uh, the reason this podcast came about is uh, Jason and I, we're, we do a show together. Uh, on stage and uh, in the backstage, uh, I don't remember if you, I think you quoted something, didn't Probably. you? And then I was like, oh, oh, News Radio, I love that show. And then somebody else on the show, and there was like a cast of about eight, was like, oh my God, yeah, I love that show. Like, uh, and we started like making quotes, and then another person like joined in. And then I think two weeks later, Jason said, hey, you know, we should do a podcast. Because <laughs> I can't do anything without podcasting. <laughs> that's the only reason I'm still friends with my best friend, because we podcast every week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, actually, I think it even started earlier than that, because a lot of our dumb friends also really liked this show, but like loved it. And it I does didn't have its, it. It does have its, like, you know, <laughs> even though it wasn't as popular as I wished it had been in uh -huh. its time. 
uh, it does like have these people that still love it like you weirdos mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> no. we, we did well, not mention we have hobbled you and you have a typewriter here and we told you to write season six uh, so just wait guys it'll be great a little strange a little uh, blood stain well, it'll be fine yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, uh, there's no good question I'm sorry I, we're I nervous know. stupid nerds well, could, right how, now, so I hold it hold it yes. I, I can tell from the look in his eyes he's going to start with a bad one come on <laughs> Bad That's, question. What's no? Find the hardest one. Find the one that you're like, oh geez, I don't know if we really want to ask him that. One. Why? Well, okay. One here. I uh, have. I do have one. If you, do? If you yeah. Okay, go for it. No, I've, I've, I just. Okay. I don't want to yeah. take over the podcast. Well, if that is the uh, if that is the yeah. case, I will just. Uh, oh, now I've thrown him. he had the perfect first question, and I said, don't use the perfect first question. <laughs> it's literally labeled perfect first question. Oh, good. Um, no. Uh, what was gonna say? Yeah. Hold it. While he's hold it. Well, hold it. I'll, I'll <laughs> ask some questions while he's stumbling through it. Let me take over the podcast. <laughs> Here's the other embarrassing thing. Yeah. I haven't listened to a second of the podcast. Oh, okay. So you're really missing out. No, but I, I. No, it's some be, gold. Be, because it's 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 it's, it's, it's I, it makes me feel. I, I listen to a little bit of one, and it mm-hmm. makes me feel uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. like. Like, imagine the best time in your life. Like, mm-hmm. for me, it was, like, college and then news radio and then when I had my kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and like, you, 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 talking about it makes you it makes you sad because it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, But I have this theory that, like, in 10 years, I'll listen back to all these podcasts mm-hmm. when my mind is really gone and I'll be like, oh, God, we really did make a great show and have a good time. <laughs> well, you but, will be... But you've had great people, like who? Oh yeah, you've been, yeah. You've really hustled. Ryan Kelly, Lou yeah. Morton, fantastic, uh, Robert Spina, Susan Joe Leslie, Fury. Joe Fury, Tom Tronis, Jimmy Burrows, which wow. was he remembered about five things. <laughs> yeah, <he laughs> was great. It was fine. I call him Jimmy because we're best friends. Did yeah. Jimmy uh, Did... drive all the way here to Burbank? No, we drove yeah, to no. him. That's good. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on set, but like he gave us an hour. That's great. He he sat the... through our fucking questions. He was like. No, <laughs> it's just the, a lot. The, of, no, but I, I do love. We kept attempting. Like, okay, but uh, on this episode that you directed, every time it's like, <laughs> I, I, it was I, twenty years. Like, I don't remember. Do you know how what? many shows? I'm a billionaire. How well, do... see, now that I think of it, I would like to listen specifically, like Lou and Brian and Joe. I talk to all the time, mm-hmm. but I would like to listen to the Susan Leslie Robert Spina one. That was fun because Susan, I've known since Larry Sanders. Mm-hmm. Like she's employee number zero, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then Tom Chironis, I haven't talked to him in a while. I'd like to hear his perspective. That was fun. Can and we I... stop right now and listen to those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do commentary on yeah, that. Uh-huh. Should be noted the uh, first twenty you minutes. Can of... Come back and do that. That's fine. <laughs> first twenty minutes of that, though, I'm just stammering uh, with my papers. So really, just be just be. That's your brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what he does. Uh, um, <laughs> Hit me with. Uh, uh, do you still okay. have the anxiety dream? About trying to figure out the last yes. two episodes. Still? Yes, I've ha- I had it just uh, a few weeks ago. No, oh, wow. and it's such a strange <laughs> dream because it's it's not purely anxiety. It is part of the dream is like, oh my god, this is great. I'm back. Everyone's here. The, all the writers are here. Phil's here. This is great. We, we you know we have more to do. And then it quickly turns into like, oh, we're supposed to shoot the last episode tomorrow. and I haven't written anything and the big strong part of the dream which is probably has some psychological meaning is I'm like whatever the last episode is I want it to I want everyone to have a happy ending I want all the I want like a happy ending for all the characters but then you know that's then I'm like oh god and it's it's such a silly dream it's like oh here's my computer oh it's not turning on Mm -hmm. I'm pushing my fingers on the keys nothing's coming out Mm -hmm. you know oh I just fell asleep yeah Whatever. Yes, I do have it all the time. Wow. I did I didn't expect that, honestly. After, you know, 
I because I don't know where you were when you were doing the commentaries, but you tell them I'm like, I wonder if by now he's worked on enough stuff that he's no, worked that out. But no, no there's it's something there, else. there are probably like three recurring dreams I have, and that one comes up once every two months or so. That's oh, wow. That would be the happy ending for Matthew. I guess that's a good. I think wherever Matthew ended up, he'd be happy, don't you think? Probably. Like, well, that's, he's a little special. Yeah, he could yeah. end up working at a token booth, you know, or, or someplace. <laughs> he, he'd he be was happy being abused by Bill all yeah. the time. Yeah, nothing made him happier. That's true. He wasn't happy as a dentist, though. No, that was, was a, well. That's because he was away from the people he loved. Exactly uh, right. So that maybe that's the answer. Well, that's pro- also when you think about it, and and our sort of that last episode we had to write where there was a five percent chance the show would get picked up for another season, and they would all move to New Hampshire. That goes into it. It's like as long as they're all together, mm-hmm. that seems happy at least for the viewer. Yeah, for me. I really would have just loved a, another just offshoot episode where it was just Dave and Matthew in the old studio together, and that was it. <laughs> just trying to... Just the two of them. I love this episode. It would have started on fire, I'm sure, at some point. Uh-huh. From, but yeah. Uh, I'm sure you noticed Alan's wearing a delightful Lucky Burger shirt. I feel like I should point out that that's a real one. There's a lot of things I'm looking around at here that I... Oh, yeah, there's a lot Where, of where did you get the Jimmy James Incorporated jacket? There's a woman who sells <laughs> a lot of stuff from a lot of shows, like costumes primarily cool and uh i paid spent way too much on that and almost as much on the frame so there we are wow yeah and you got the you got an original wnyx mug thank you joe fury and tony uh carrie for getting us those very nice the jimmy james farewell jubilee Mm -hmm. what episode was that from uh it's like season five maybe the penultimate episode i think i have such a bad memory this is this is oh no but don't don't get me wrong like somebody could also still sell me something from the show that could be complete bullshit and i wouldn't (laughs) necessarily question them at first hey everyone try and sell jason's (laughs) stuff from news radio online you can't see my rocket fuel bottle but i have a rocket fuel bottle back here that i i've assured it really let me yes. see. Here, it's, uh, it, would, it would be, let me see. Right behind you your telegraph machine? Right well, the studio's it. too big. It's so far yeah, away, it's, I can barely. Yeah. <laughs> that does look authentic. Yeah, it, well, I mean, uh, Mike Reisner was kind enough oh, to yeah. sell it to me. Oh, yeah. The label's the same. The, no, yeah, he was kind enough thing. to sell it, sell it to, to you. <laughs> well, to be fair. You know you should have on. You should have Jody Mann, our prop I person. We desperately want to have Jody Mann. She's great. You know, she... Uh, uh, we have been emailing with her and she did say something to the effect and it turns out later on I think she was being facetious she's like oh should I bring the cane I just about shit myself because I really thought the question is which one that's exactly what I was thinking Uh, I did make this though so that people could put them on their own oh that's cool because why not yeah this is the kind of I've only seen I've only seen one other rocket fuel malt liquor bottle ever my friend Sam Johnson has Mm -hmm. it he's got the other one okay he's got the other one you know what the only piece of memorabilia I saved see I've got this this is how I'm getting it going like mm-hmm. getting into the the, mm-hmm. the deep stuff. Mm-hmm. I have, I mean, I have a few little things, but I have the conference table. <gasps> I remember. Yay! Hearing oh, that's nice. He's been trying to track down Dave's door for years. It's a very weird obsession. <laughs> I know it's all probably mothballed or in a chipper, but I for some I don't reason think it's in door. a chipper. They probably took that set apart and said the next time we have to build an office set, here's yeah. this and that. All right. Well, so I wish you the might, best of luck. Yeah, right. You might have to steal it. it from the Big Bang Theory or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. I'm good. Um, okay. Well, now that you know what we spend our savings on, yeah. uh, how did it all begin? Like, where did the idea come from and, and what uh, happened? I'm going to try tonight not to give my prepackaged responses because yeah. I, I was thinking recently, like, when I'm driving over here, I was thinking, like, when I get asked questions like that, I feel like I give an answer, but it's just an answer I've been giving for so long that it might not even be Mm -hmm. the truth because Mm -hmm. it's easy. So it all began. (laughs) I was working at Larry Sanders 
and I made a deal with Brad Gray, who produced Larry Sanders, um, and uh, and then I thought I, I thought what's the show I, I you know Larry Sanders I was a great show but it was had limited insider sort of appeal mm-hmm. and I thought I'd like to make something that's in front of an audience because I missed working uh, this is probably the same shit I said on the commentary I don't it? recall this all right so maybe this is new stuff <laughs> I recently got distracted to... <laughs> pretty fast yeah. on the commentary so right. there's a lot of bleeps you know, on the this commentary. could be the right, long yeah. version you by the way do, all by the way I can swear on <laughs> please this oh yeah, yeah. Um, we're up a storm so I um. <laughs> Now, where did we... What was I think? Oh, so where did it start? Uh-huh. Larry Sanders. <laughs> Larry Sanders. Audience. And I wanted to do something that was an audience show because having worked at Letterman, I missed the... Just on a, a personal level, I missed the excitement of having a live audience there and things happening. Mm-hmm. And I loved Seinfeld, which had made sort of audience sitcoms cool again. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, back in the early 90s, before Seinfeld, you know, everyone was like, Cheers is the greatest show. And Cheers was a great show, but... Uh, I don't know. Seinfeld made it like like cool, like you could really do something interesting. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted, and that was sort of the hook that helped sell it. But it was also it genuinely was part of the inception of the show. Was you watch Seinfeld and they just hang out all day. I know I've said this before. They all just hang out all day. Mm-hmm. And my whole life since getting out of college had been in an office. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's where you live your you know life and your birthdays and who you date and you know uh, the arguments you have and all that. So I wanted it to be about work. But I this is this is something I really I literally have never said out loud before because it's so pretentious <laughs> and or weird sounding. Can't wait. When I was when I was originally like before I'd written anything before I'd even thought of the show, I just I would picture in my head like what if you could do a show that was just in a, like a white blank empty room. And it was just about the characters. Uh-huh. Um, and I started, and that's how I started thinking about the characters on the show was sort of who the characters were and their relationships. And it wasn't until, you know, a few weeks of thinking about that that I'm like, well, I can't do a show in a white room because that's just weird <laughs> um, and, and pretentious. But, but what is something that's so um, almost... Uh, uh, not anonymous, but something that where where the, my favorite shows when I was a kid were like uh, Newhart, Barney Miller, and um, Taxi, yeah. mm. which were all shows where there was a workplace. You know, they work at a taxi place, but the taxi business really didn't have anything to do with it. And, mm-hmm. and Newhart's office, it was just a it was just a hub to bring these different characters together. And so I wanted some, and then I thought, well, since this, since I am sort of writing based on my experiences, you know, working in an office, uh, I didn't want to make it show business and try to make it glitzy and glamorous or something. And I, so I chose news radio, which is the lowest rung sort of that can still be called entertainment or Mm -hmm. media. Um, And that was a, you know, sort of a difficult thing to get across to the network people one of the many difficult things to get across to the network people was that it's it's not about radio it's not about news we're not going to it's not going to be things where they're doing topical jokes this is right. just an excuse to have these people together and in fact you don't want anything too specifically radio because you want anyone who works in an office to go like oh, i remember when i didn't get the raise and someone else did uh-huh um so then uh then uh, Brad and I went into uh, NBC. This is really like a trip down memory lane because just driving over here it was pro- maybe the first time since those days that I'd driven down uh, wherever NBC is, Barham or mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember driving there that morning, pitching it. They got the idea immediately. I really hammered home on the idea of 
Seinfeld's all about leisure time. This is, what if you had a Seinfeld, but all about work? <laughs> so they got that. I wrote mm -hmm. the script and everything came together. You know, I realize now with my years of experience with a lot of luck and and very quickly. I mean, we shot, we cast it quickly. We shot it quickly. Uh, you know, it's one of those that... It, for a show to work, you just you really do have to get lucky. If one thing is off, if if you know something in the casting isn't right, if it's not the right time, whatever. So I'd like to attribute it all to my genius and the genius of all the actors and writers, <laughs> mm -hmm. and certainly a chunk of it is attributable to that. But a lot of it is just getting lucky and having all the right pieces come together at the right time. It's so weird and, to have like specifically the three dudes that you wrote the parts for actually all worked out. And, yeah, like, that is true. That the fact that, uh, you know, Phil Hartman was so close to having a, the biggest film career. Like mm -hmm. I, there's no doubt in my mind. Dave Foley, also could have happened if the wrong guy had gotten appreciated, honestly. Yep, that was bad. And uh, <laughs> if uh, the Get Smart weird reboot uh, hadn't failed, then well, you might not have down. had... Let's talk about each one of those. Yeah. Phil Hartman had an offer at the same time to be the lead, I think, on an ABC show where he'd played like the father in a family. Mm, okay, yeah. And um, it, he called... Um, I, I, you don't have to say it out loud, but if I am doing anything I said in the commentary, just raise your fingers <laughs> so that I know that's boring. He called Dana Carvey and said, I've got these two different parts. And Dana Carvey, not even having read either script because they were close friends, Dana said, like, Phil, you're best as part of an ensemble. Like, you don't want the you don't want the pressure and you're not going to have as much fun being the lead, you know, uh, and that that really helped it. So um, you, you have mentioned well, that before, and I'm sorry yeah, to interrupt, yeah. but it, but the, the specifics is that I didn't understand is what you're saying now, is that he was saying that Phil Hartman himself would be better as part of an ensemble, not specifically just anybody. He's saying, yeah. that's, I know that's what you're good yeah. at. Okay, and I get that's, that and that's okay. what they And that's what they they loved about him at SNL also, okay. is that sometimes he'd be in the forefront, but when he wasn't in the forefront, he made every scene better. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. he liked it better, you know? I think if he had done a, a family sitcom, he would have had to do a more... He would still be funny, but he would have had to have done a more straightforward, you know, normal person character and fill mm -hmm. his funniest would... with his eccentricities. Right. Dave Foley. Let's let's break some news on this. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some stuff we've never talked about. I say that, and I, <laughs> like I said, I've probably talked about it all on the podcast. <laughs> Dave Foley. I I loved Kids in the Hall, and I just pictured him in my head for that. And I remember. Uh, having to get some of the people involved on board with the idea. And I remember getting from Brillstein Gray, getting all the videotapes of kids in the hall, like these, like five big gro paper grocery bags full of the videotapes, <laughs> sat at my house with two VCRs and put together clips of his best kids in the hall stuff, Jesus like Christ. old fashioned, like oh, pushing wow. paws, like making a mixtape <laughs> oh um, to show them that he was good. And even then there was uh there was someone else who was saying it should be uh, Michael J. Fox. Interesting. Yes. Huh. I could see that. I could see could it, see but it. it wouldn't have been. The... But I love Dave Foley. I do, too. <laughs> I love Michael J. Fox, too, but not in the same way. I know. And I also felt like, I mean, this is the this is the the good and stupid part of being young. I was like, well, Michael J. Fox is already such a big name. That then becomes the Michael J. Fox yeah. show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it doesn't feel like an ensemble and I really, uh, and I just loved, you know, Dave. And so that ultimately worked out. 
That, that was a lousy. He's another. Well, you, he's oh. another Canadian high school dropout. I just feel like I should point out that's two Canadian high school dropouts who are up for that part. That's true. That's very weird to me. Is that the that key? That is weird. That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> I have no particular affinity for Canadians, but you're. But you're. Right. You didn't think oh, did so. You? I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy Dick, when I was working at. Uh, uh, this is stuff I've all told. I'm going to stop being self-conscious about it, right? You're I fine. said just yeah, 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 yeah. This is the official yeah. record. I it's used okay. to, uh, at the, the, when I worked at Larry Sanders, I used to go to the, uh, across the street from the Beverly Center, the Beverly Connection, mm -hmm. which was such a hot spot in the 90s. Guys, let me tell you. <laughs> there was a bookstar. <laughs> there was the first Starbucks in LA. Wow. There was a 24-hour Good Guys where you could buy stereo equipment. There was a warehouse record store. None of these things exist no. anymore. Even the Starbucks that it's was gone. there doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but um, and I and I'd seen Andy on the Ben Stiller show and thought he was so funny. And I used to bump into him at that bookstore all the time because mm -hmm. I would go there like every night, like we all did in the '90s, where you just go to a record store or a bookstore. This is the hot spot. Yeah, because it's where it's where everything's happening. And Andy was always like, "Make put me in a show," um, and I did. So that's and that was that. And then he had the he had the get smart thing. There was some mild controversy with the get smart thing where mm -hmm. he had already shot the get smart thing. He knew he wanted to do news radio and, and doing some press for the get smart thing. Uh -huh. he, he ran his mouth. I read some bit. of that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was. I remember watching that. I watched it when it ran. I'm like, oh, he, this dude's really good. He's perfect. But it was a bad show. He yeah, was great in it, yeah. but it was horrible. Yeah. And then yeah. I remember specifically like, oh, he's on a new show. Fun. And also my hero is on it, <laughs> Phil Hartman. And see, to me, that's the weird thing is like you put together a show of stars for me. Yeah. Guys who maybe they weren't up there at all. But for me, like for the fucking nerd I was, it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, no, me too. I, in a weird, weird way. It was it was really me. Uh, like I said, looking back in retrospect, it's one of the benefits of being young is that I was like, this person is just funny. I, there was no there was no calculation to it. Like, I know this will bring in this part sure, of the yeah, audience. Yeah. And there is definitely no calculation as far as if I'd been more calculating. And uh, uh, I would have said, yeah, Michael J. Fox and whoever was hot on a sitcom last year and mm -hmm. all that. Uh, so whenever you hear me bitching about how the show wasn't big enough, it's my own fault. <laughs> but ultimately, I'm happy with what it, you know, with what it was. Of course. Can't really cry about not bringing in viewers if you don't have any stars. <laughs> well, they also move the show every freaking week. Oh, too. let's not go down. <laughs> All that's true, but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, I have to know because uh, we had Stephanie Herb on. Yes, uh, we should thank her very quickly. Yeah. She's the thank you, Stephanie. We yeah. she, and this. also we she was the one who emailed me enough to go like, "Will you return these guys' emails at some point? <laughs> they're really nice." <laughs> thank and, you, Stephanie. <laughs> and you know they're really doing something nice. Um, yes. What about Stephanie? Uh, she says she met you. You were managing an ice cream shop in Dallas. How did you end up there, and how did you get out of there? I guess that's I the question. I was. <laughs> I went to Harvard halfway through my freshman year. My roommate and I got asked to take a year off, <laughs> which is a polite way of saying we sort of got kicked out for a year because we uh -huh. were idiots and we were <laughs> playing pranks on people and just being dummies. It was uh -huh. so stupid. And, and, and I laugh about it now, but it was such a it was such a trauma back then because, uh -huh. you know, you get it. You work all through high school. You get into Harvard and then halfway through the freshman year, you got to call your parents and go like, uh, I got to I'm coming home. <laughs> At the time, my parents had just moved to Dallas, so I moved to Dallas, worked at a Kroger supermarket bagging groceries. Then I got a job at Steve's Ice Cream. The first Steve's, Steve's was a big Boston ice cream place. The first Steve's Ice Cream west of the Mississippi mm. in University Park, Dallas. 
<laughs> um, I she's not right. I never managed. I was a scooper, and, and Steve's was like Cold Stone uh, Creamery, where you mix mm, it in. Mm-hmm. So I was got very good at that. Then I got promoted to ice cream maker. Oh, and we oh. made all of our ice cream on site. That was a better job because you could work at your own. Can we just do the whole thing about the ice cream? <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. You could work at your own pace, but you had to work behind a big glass window so the people mm-hmm. who were in line would watch you, and then they'd poke their head around the corner and, and go like, what flavor are you making? You know, And I'd go, well, ma'am, this is peanut butter, and this is how much we put in. And Stephanie worked there. She was, going to the, she was in the theater department at SMU, and uh, we became friends. And then just like... Coincidentally, I guess we reconnected when I was out here and she was out. She was out here. She's very funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's funny. She's been on a lot of the shows that I love a ton. There's weird, interesting crossover between News Radio and Parks and Rec, which I really enjoy because they're two of my favorite shows. What's the crossover? Well, she's one of them. Oh, she's, I didn't know she did yeah, she won one episode of Parks and wow. Rec. Uh, my buddy Jim Hanna got his SAG card on a season four episode of News Radio, which, Jim, if you're listening, come on the fucking show. Um, what what part did he play? He played remember? the other Bill. Uh, when Bill is going to adopt a child, he plays the plumber mm. named Bill. Oh, and, I I have zero recollection of that. that. That's when fine. you said the adopt the yeah. child part, yeah. I remember that yeah. part. But yeah, there's another guy. This named show is going to be such a treat. Baby. It's going to be a treat for me to watch mm-hmm. when I'm. Uh, it's a treat for me to watch now if I accidentally see it, sure. or someone tells me a plot because I'm like, oh, that sounds so funny. <laughs> like I don't remember any of that, but it sounds funny. Yeah, no, they're good. They're what's the really other? Good. What's the other crossover? Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. And he played, like I said, he played like again a one-off on Parks and Rec. There's an there's a there's a couple other that are not coming to me. Jim stands out because I know the man. And if anybody ever tells me they worked on or wrote for news radio, I unfortunately will assault them with questions. Ah, question. they love it. When when we started co- the Comedy on Vinyl podcast seven years ago, Jen here worked with Mike Preister, and Mike Preister, oh. you know, he wrote he wrote Padded Suit, at yeah. least. And uh, yeah, so if it wasn't wow. for him, I don't think, I don't, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. I wouldn't wow. have met Dave Foley. Um, if it wasn't for him. Um, uh, um, he's got a stack of paper there with questions. Was it? I'll keep I'm going. Nervous. Goodbye. Okay, the first. I quit. I quit. <laughs> this is my final episode. We uh, still still haven't. So how did you, how did you get out of Dallas to here though? Like what did? Um, back to Harvard. I, I got yeah. I they let me come back to Harvard. That's nice. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I tried out for and got on the Harvard Lampoon. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, uh, which was great, mm-hmm. and that was the first. Like I grew up, I, I grew up overseas, so I didn't. I never grew up knowing anyone who worked in show business or anything like that. I mm-hmm. mean, I always loved, uh, you know, TV, and especially because we were deprived of it because we were overseas and there was no TV. So yeah. when we'd come back to America once a year, I was I would watch all the TV I could. But the but at the Lampoon was the first place, the first place where I sort of met people who had graduated and gone on and actually written in in the TV business like Mike Reese and Al Jean had worked on the last new heart show, not the last new heart show. Mm -hmm. Definitely. The, 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 uh, Vermont one. Mm -hmm. Um, and I sort of knew that, and other people had gone on to work at Saturday night live. And that was the first inkling I had that you, that it's, you know what I mean? Like people I know actually go and do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I became very focused on, on that. I knew that's what I wanted to do, but I also, at the same time, I loved magazines and journalism so when I got out of college, uh, I thought Spy Magazine was very big then. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, I don't, it wasn't big, but it was so, I just loved it. And uh, I managed to get a job at Spy. And I and I always thought, like, um, I'll never go from TV back to 
journalism because people just don't do that. Uh -huh. So if I want to work at a magazine and have that experience, I should do that first. And so I worked at Spy for two years and I loved it. Then I heard there was an opening at Letterman and I stayed up all night for a week in a row writing stuff and got a job there. But that was the Letterman job was I still I'm 52 now and I still that still was the pinnacle of my career in some kind of personal sense like mm -hmm. just letterman meant so much and, and be, being in high school and seeing letterman and stuff it was a job that just in my mind i was like boy th uh, never fathoming that it would ever be possible to be actually be a writer for letterman so what getting, year did you start there 19 april of 1990 1990 okay um and so everything else has just been icing on the cake but that was that was a uh that was great that's where i met joe fury that's where i met julie bean um so then I was at Letterman for two years, and then I started to feel a little restless. Like I, I feel like I know how to do this, and I feel like I feel like I'm doing the same things over and over again. And then, uh, then I moved out to LA and started working on the first three seasons of Larry Sanders, and that brings us up to where we are now. Wow, what are you? Are you still a night guy? Because uh, everybody on that we've had on news radio said you like to like work all how dare they <laughs> yes yes i still am even though i have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old now i still am left to my own devices i'm a night guy but then it's part of it is i'm a night guy but also part of it is i just have no standard fixed schedule like mm -hmm. this last week i was shooting a pilot and i had to get up at five or six in the morning every day and that that works for me too but left to my sure. own devices i am a night guy but it's interesting that the 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 you want to hear an anecdote? Please. Oh, that'd be good. Hey, you guys want to hear? You guys want to hear an anecdote? Um, so I'm trying to remember how this happened. Oh, so I was at Letterman, and I was thinking, I think it's time to move out to LA and and do try something else and and do sitcoms. And my agent said, "Well, what sitcom would you like to work at?" And I said, "Well, Seinfeld." And they're like, "Ah, Jerry only hires people he knows." And I go, "Well." I sort of know Jerry. I don't know him well, but we had done a Spy Magazine TV special that he had hosted. Oh, okay. Um, which was my, which I guess was technically my very first TV thing. It was an awful special because being magazine writers, we thought you could write magazine-length <laughs> monologues for people to say. <laughs> I mean, there are a few clever things in it. Whatever. And I said, I sort of know Jerry. And they were like, nah, I don't know. So I can't, <laughs> why don't you come out for meetings? So I came out for meetings... And I realized when I was out, when I was here, that, that they were sort of just sending me on these, like, they're like, oh, shit, he actually came to L.A. for a week. We got to set up some meetings. So it was like the, you know, third third from the bottom development person at ABC. Like, nobody who could do anything for me, yeah. you know. Um, and so finally one day, I was in my hotel, and it, I just got fed up with it. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, you know what? Fuck these agents. I'm just going to call Jerry myself. And I called Jerry Seinfeld, and he called back. And I said, I'm thinking about leaving Letterman and I'd like, I'd like to, you know, come out and I'd love to work on your show. This shows you how long ago it was, was he was like, we're not sure if we're getting picked up for, for another season yet. But he, <laughs> but he, go, but he says, um, uh, he said, do you have a sample script? I said, yeah, I have one. It's, it's uh, almost finished. He's like, well, send it to me. I said, all right, it should be finished pretty shortly. I hadn't written a word. Mm -hmm. I did not have a sample script. But in the moment, it seemed like the right thing to say. <laughs> Jerry works in a news radio yeah. station. So, <laughs> so I went back. I remember these this this week or two. It was probably about a week of my life so vividly. I would uh, go to Letterman, do my Letterman work, 
Well, you'll see. I go home, work feverishly on a on a Seinfeld script, and I'd never written anything like that before. Shit, so I was okay. just trying to figure it out as I wrote it until six in the morning, seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. Take a brief nap. Be somehow wake up, you know, at nine thirty, and and get in a cab and go to work at Letterman. Come in, have the first meeting, go in my office, sleep, take another nap on the couch. <laughs> Someone would knock on the door. It's time to write the top 10 list. Wake up, do that. Watch, let you know, be there for the Letterman taping. Go home, make some coffee, start the whole thing over again. Uh, oh, my God. And I wow. just... Because I, I... So it's sort of like by fibbing to Jerry, I set this this arbitrary deadline for myself. And then uh, and then I finished the script, and then I sent it to Jerry. And then, there, then another weird thing happened was I sent... Oh, this was the most satisfying part of it was... I said, uh, I sent it to my agents and, uh, they were like, uh, yeah, it's good. I mean, we have some notes. Then Jerry called me and said, this is great. He said, this is the best Seinfeld spec I've read in a year or whatever. You know, I I love it. So then I called the agents and I go, I I sent it. They're like, well, we have some notes. I said, well, Jerry Seinfeld said he loves it. They're like, okay, never mind. We're we're all good. So in the the meantime, Jerry said, again, he was like, we still don't know if we're getting picked up for another season or how much money we have for writers or whatever. In the meantime, uh, uh, my agent sent me a stack of like the pilots for the next year. And they're all awful sure. you know mm-hmm. except for the larry sanders one which particularly struck home with me because it was all about behind the scenes at a late night talk show i mm-hmm. remember reading it in my office um and i asked him to send that to him and then then uh there's i i wish i so wish i had a better memory but i <laughs> some of these moments just stand out i guess they are like turning points in my life i remember having a phone call with uh gary shandling and them offering me the job and me uh, going in, saying to Dave's assistant, like, I've got to talk to Dave. And as soon as I walked into Dave's office, because you, you didn't go in Dave's office a lot, you know, and mm-hmm. you also didn't set up an appointment a lot. And Dave immediately was like, so where are you going to work, The Simpsons? Like, he knew he knew it was the, like, thanks for everything, but I'm going. Meeting. And I said, no, it's this new show called Larry Sanders. And so he was nice. But literally in that time, when I walked back to my office, then I got a call from from Seinfeld going hold tight don't take another job yet and i'm like i already sort of took this larry sanders wow. job but we don't that that's a show that doesn't even exist yet so we don't maybe maybe it'll fall apart uh-huh. at least i'll be out in la and maybe i'll be able to join you for another season so um those are some solid anecdotes <laughs> <laughs> i was just afraid what? your seinfeld is going to be 40 pages of galuli jokes that's really yeah. what i assumed yeah. was going to happen uh, what was your actual oh, I was gonna say, When you were going through the uh, the shit pilots, because I'm sure you had to read a ton of them, yeah. was there at any point where you, you saw one and you're like, eh, yeah, maybe I can make this show better? Or were you just like, not, I get... Not really. Yeah. I mean, um, not really. And by the way, that also, I remember, the I don't remember the specifics of any of those shows, but it was early <laughs> on enough in, sign, the, in the history of Seinfeld that people weren't yet trying to make their own Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. So it was still people trying to make, like, Cheers or, or something. Yeah. Um, so no single guy yet, of course. Yes. No <laughs> no single guy, no Caroline in the City, mm-hmm. no Another Inside Brown Schwartz. Uh-huh. No. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. <laughs> you worked in the business. You remember these things better. Holy crap, I'd forgotten some of these shows. I, I did watch Caroline in the City, though. I Caroline in the City I, wasn't I that bad. It, it, it couldn't have been, right? Couldn't it it wasn't bad. that bad. It's it Leah Thompson. Just, yeah. 
I like the Atomic of Howard the uh, Howard of Howard the, the Duck, Duck fame. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Alan, you're the only one who wrote down questions. I really thought I'd be more conversational and wouldn't be having like a. All right, all right. Uh, come on, Lucky Burger. If, <laughs> so when we were when you were working on News Radio, when you were getting into the fold of it, uh, the fold of it. That's a thing. Okay. Yeah. The fold uh, of it. Was there was there any music of that era that really like helped you, or at least that bands that you loved? Ooh. Well, when I got into the full of it, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because uh, I do. There are there are certain uh, records that I that really stick in my mind from then. Then because often we would you know in our own weird way stay up all night. I would often find myself awake at five thirty or six in the morning, and it was usually me and Josh Lee putting together the scenes that everyone else had written. And there are the reason I was thinking about this is because I one of the CDs was very hard to find and I had to get it on eBay. Oh, but um, the the uh, there's the Chemical Brothers live at the Social, which was like a DJ. I loved hip hop and I still do, and I loved especially uh, hip hop DJs and and mm-hmm. scratching mixing. That was one that I would. It was almost like a ritual listening to that one in the morning. The other one was this LA morning show called The Baker Boys. And they released the, this CD that was sort of like a best of with their favorite tracks and stuff. And I would listen to that over and over. And then I also remember listening to the Black Crows Amorica album over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And then besides that, it was just a lot of hip hop because that was it was it was the it was the sort of like a second golden age of hip hop, mm-hmm. you, you know. And uh, there was just like three new three or four new good hip hop, you know, CDs coming out every week. And mm-hmm. that's what I really love. But those are the those are the three that stick in my mind as like the sun's coming up. Starbucks and Jamba Juice isn't open yet. So <laughs> I'm still drinking the big gulp from the La Brea and Sunset, you know, 7-Eleven from the <laughs> night before. And I'll put Shout that out to La Brea and Sunset yeah, 7-Eleven. <laughs> really want it, to. I must have talked about that in the commentaries. I would specifically go to that 7-Eleven because the. Um, the uh, their Coke machine was calibrated just right, where it was not too sweet and it was fizzy <laughs> enough and everything. And there are some Seven Elevens you go to where it's kind of flat sure. or it's overly sure. sweet. But I love that one. Did I tell this on the commentary? I don't remember. I that went to at that Seven Eleven so much. There was a security guard who worked there who would go like, "Hey, chief!" Like every night I went there. I moved back to New York. I came back six years later. Six years later. I'm like, I'm going to stop my old Sevlon. I walk in, there's the same guy looking older. He's like, hey, chief, long time no see. <laughs> Yay, that's amazing. Oh, I, I used to live song. right by there. I didn't get the Coke, though. So. Why is yeah. he still there? This is what I want to know. I, mean, I haven't been there. Well, I, 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 every time I drive past there, I think about going in, and then mm-hmm. I think I'm going to be sad when he's not when there. When he's not there. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that, too. How far out of how far out of your way did you go to that Seven Eleven as opposed to one that was right next to you to get that? Uh, there are <laughs> between Sunset Gower. There are two closer Seven Elevens within a radius of Sunset Gower, but mm-hmm. I would go to that one. And and at times I'm even less proud of if it came to me having to go to a run through and having an assistant or a PA go to Seven Eleven, I would go La Brea and Sunset. <laughs> Don't try to trick me. I'm gonna know. I really need the big gulp from there. Holy shit. Did you say it was for the chief? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they know who it's for. Use my name. <laughs> I'm a regular. You know, I feel like we should dig into the show called News Radio a little bit more. All right. Only because I feel like there's got to be questions that haven't been asked of you in terms of like, I hate, but I hate asking, what's your favorite what? episode? But like, there's no, gotta, ask that one. That's what's your favorite one. episode, Paul? Of the ones I remember, and part of it is tied up in how the episode came out. 
Look, I like the crazy ones. I like Titanic. I like outer space. <laughs> yes. I like, but the the one where I really like, I had this idea in my head, and I ended up saying to the writers, like, I've got this idea for an episode. I don't even want to tell you guys what it's about because I want you to be surprised when you read it. And I just remember writing it, and it's so it's a combination of how well the episode turned out and the feeling when I was writing of like, this is really making me laugh, and this is really going to crack everyone. Like the writers, it's going to crack everyone mm -hmm. up. Is the one is the daydream episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, amazing, that one was just so fun and 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 silly and in wit and dark in places like the 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 uh, snack cart guy who's oh, it's so away, sad. All that. And then the and then the I'm sure we talked about it in the commentary, but then the so much of of news rate of our own lives in a way was in there. Like the the sound effect we used for the snapping out of the daydream was the sound of running over the megasphere when you're playing PlayStation Doom, <laughs> which we played against each Holy other shit, nonstop. I did not know that. I hope we don't get sued oh, for that. Wow. That's, That's awesome. Brum. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, so that one, that one was really fun. I'm trying to think of other ones that I really liked. I, I liked Catherine Moves On uh, mm -hmm. because it was, uh, you know, Candy wanted to go and explore other opportunities. And, and it, it was one of those things where you felt like a challenge. Like, how do you do a farewell mm -hmm. episode for someone that's not corny, but still funny, yeah. but feels right for the character? I remember really liking that. That is um, one of my favorite endings, it is actually. Good. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think what else. What are your guys' favorites? And I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Arcade. <laughs> oh, Arcade. Yes, that's another one that came so much. I mean, so much of the show came from this core group of writers and the actors and just us drawing from our own lives, but not being faithful to our own lives, but but making something out of it. But as you know from everyone you've talked to, we played a lot of video games and mm -hmm. we had all those arcade things. Um and that was something where I didn't, I really identify with both Dave and Lisa. I identify with Lisa on the, like, if I took the SATs again, would I be able to be as smart as I was back then? And right. I identified with the Dave about making foolish decisions in your life just because you're obsessed with a video game. And uh, yeah, I love that one. And, and the fact that we managed to get them to let us actually use Stargate Defender. Was it Defender <laughs> or Defender 2? I can't remember. I don't recall. Don't what else? Really what's, what's another one? You see that? Yeah, you're reminding me of episodes. These fantastic. This show sounds great. Which, which one is your favorite one, Jen? Because um, I know we've. The thing is, we've all. We can all. I think we've all agreed that, of course, smoking and the cane are both. Ah, we all yeah. love smoking. Smoking oh. is really good. It's one of my favorites. And it just. The dynamic between Bill and Dave being so heavily explored in that yeah. one is just. It's so good. Yeah. And seeing. And that the, there's. Here's a few things about smoking. One. We really, that original core group of me, Josh Lieb, Joe Fury, and Brad Isaacs, we really wrote that one all together. But then there was some Writers Guild thing saying, like, you can't, if you ha you can't have more than four writers on a script. And so I said to Joe, or somehow it worked out that Joe's name is not on not that off, one. Okay. And then for the next 10 years, everyone was like, Smoking was the best episode of News Radio. <laughs> and I'm like, Joe, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that your name got left off that one. But then, ironically... Um, I feel like in the in the last five years, the cane is as is the one that yeah. the real sure. people talk about more, and that was completely Joe's idea. I think the, the reason smoking stands out as like this great one is it is the first where the dynamic between all the characters is so fucking hammered in. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily. I do think it's one of the greatest ones, but I don't necessarily think it's as great as the cane it just is the first like fucking gangbusters insanely yeah. great episode, and it's also yeah. a great example. I mean, 
you know, Jimmy Burroughs, who directed the first six and then some other ones, had, was a veteran of comedy, and he was always pushing us to to be maybe bigger and louder and broader than I was comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And I was always like, ah, that feels corny. But smoking was made me feel like it's possible to, if you have good people like Dave Foley and Phil Hartman, it's possible to have big, big sort of yelling dynamic uh -huh. arguments that don't feel forced or right. corny. Like the scene when they just are screaming at each other, which is great. So good. So, and then they start screaming at somebody yeah. else because they dare oh, was, enter the room. It was Matthew or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's so brilliant. Uh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a very quick break. Is it a pee-pee break? It's not a pee-pee. I mean, oh, it can be. It's not? Do you oh. need to pee? Well, everybody, tell, not. tell it's everybody it's if you're going to pee. Yes, it's a mandolin break. Okay, good. It's everybody, like... Paul Sims is going to urinate. All right, great. <laughs> Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a news radio podcast, is part of the Stolen Dress Podcast Network. The show is hosted by Alan Rickert and Jason Klom, and our theme song was composed and performed by Michael Warden. Have questions? Call and leave us a voicemail at 646-801-WNYX or email us at freakzilla at scopenet.com. Please subscribe to Dispatches from Fort Awesome on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WNYX News Radio. Visit stolendress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Big day today, Dave. <laughs>